0: thank you Gabby I appreciate that so much that is a great testimony and just in case I forget to do an application today just remember what she said and we will be good right so uh, it's great to be back with you guys this morning at Central Campus uh, my name is Dave Foster in case you haven't run across me before I'm usually up at North Campus uh, these days but uh, I love coming back here and getting a chance to open God's Word and lead us in a time of understanding what he's trying to say to us, especially with this theme of resurrection and what the resurrection means to us and how it changes us. So in that light, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and beg the Heavenly Father to make this clear to us. Father, we come to you this morning full of expectation, desiring to forget the rest of our lives beyond these doors for just these few minutes. Father, may our focus, may our attention, may our devotion and love be towards you. Father, not just so that we can gain understanding to help us, but Father, because we truly want to worship you. The things you have done for us, Lord, the things that you've put in motion for us as believers in Christ is truly astounding, not to be understood, not to be believed in a sense, but yet, Father, nevertheless, it is so true. Father, your Son rose from the dead by your power through the Holy Spirit. And as we sit here today, Lord, as the inheritors, the benefactors, those who are receiving an estate from you, we just say thank you and pray, Lord, that you would help us together with all your saints from around the world this morning to praise you, to learn about you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be focused on a passage to start off this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you want to go ahead and turn over to that, we're going to be looking specifically at verse 17. So, If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been talking about resurrection. Uh, We kind of led into that from Easter. We've taken that long walk from Galilee to Jerusalem, right, Uh, to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, to the garden outside the tomb where Jesus reveals himself as the ascended uh, God that he is, Uh, to the women that came that morning to the upper room where he talks to his disciples, back to Galilee where he uh, convicts his main disciple Peter to say, you know, feed my sheep, back to the Mount of Olives just outside of Jerusalem where he ascends into the clouds with the disciples gaping upwards, mixture of fear, sadness, reverence, worship, awe. And the angel says, what are you looking at? You men, go into Jerusalem and await the filling of the Spirit. And they knew that was the command of their Lord, and so they did. And as we gather here today as heirs and descendants of that command, we also, as believers in Christ, have been filled with His Spirit. But here's the problem. Sometimes as believers, we have a hard time understanding and believing what we're reading in Scripture. Scripture. Uh, the Apostle Paul, I'm just going to read this really quick for us, verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And if you've been a believer for any amount of time and you've come to church or Bible studies, you have uh, go online and you listen or you read a book, we get so used to these kind of terms, new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And we can read in Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, similar verbiage. And after a while, we just struggle with this. Because here's the problem. Here's the, the problem we have is that we still see ourselves the way that we've always been. You know, it doesn't matter how old physically you are. But if you've been a believer in Christ for any amount of time, you have the reality of how you live your everyday life, the fears, the temptations, the failures, the things that you know you should be doing. You hear pastors, you hear speakers, and they're talking about going out and changing the world for Christ, the Great Commission, and so forth. And you recognize that you fall way short of such lofty goals, and it's discouraging. And we, after a while, we become resistant in a sense. We put on a shell that says, I dare you to convince me that I am anything other than the mediocre Christian that I am. And if we're not careful, we'll go to our maker with those thoughts in our minds. Well, this morning, I would like you to walk with me on a little journey through the word so that you can discover how different you are as a believer in Christ those kind of thoughts are just not truth they're not the truth from God they're not the truth from his son Jesus Christ they're not the truth that the Holy Spirit puts into you when you become a believer so let's just take a, a careful look here at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It's, it's sincerely related to what Paul has previously written back in chapter 3 of this same book, verse 18, when he says, And we all, and I like this part in COVID, with unveiled faces, <clears throat> beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the lord who has spread. Now, think about this we're all with unveiled faces paul is saying when we fully understand when we remove the years of crud it's it's like taking your car into a car wash and you just spray it with that high pressure hose and all that dirt you get up under the wheel wells and you're just removing rust dirt snow all that kind of junk comes off we're unveiled we see truthfully what God has done. We behold the glory of the Lord. That's going to be important later. You're going to see the glory of God. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We're in constant process as believers in Christ. Uh, you failed. so did I. You sin. So do I. You don't measure up to John Piper, Tim Keller, all the great heroes of the faith. I don't either. But still, it's undeniable. Scripture says we're being transformed. We're being renewed with unveiled faces. The truth is there. So back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, what we have here is kind of a Great statement here. Paul makes four crisp antithetical statements. He says they are launched by the conditional statement, if anyone is in Christ. So this morning I ask you, are you in Christ? Do you know your Savior? If you do, no matter for how long, here are some truths. And here's what Paul's saying it can mean several things, and none of these are mutually exclusive, right? It can mean that one belongs to Christ, you are His before you weren't now you are this is a truth put it in the bank right that one lives in the sphere of christ's power before you didn't but now you do you don't live your life by your strength you live your life even when you can't feel it by his strength thirdly that one is united with christ before you weren't but now you are right and lastly You are part of the body of Christ. Uh, He means that literally. You, you, You belong somewhere in the anatomical wholeness of Jesus Christ. You might be the toe, you might be the head, you might be an eyelash, I don't know. But God knows. And just as important as every part of your body is, so you are important to his body now. You are part of the believing community. Before you weren't, but now you are. Four statements. If anyone is in Christ, Paul's assumption is that being in Christ should produce a radical change in a person's life. Because you see, this is the first point here. The resurrection profoundly changes who you are there was life before the resurrection now there is life after the resurrection and because of that singular moment in history when Jesus defeated death and sin and rose to sit at the right hand of his father our lives are profoundly changed our beings are profoundly changed these truths are clear to us. One belongs to Christ. One lives in the sphere of Christ's power. One is united with Christ. We've talked about all of these since Easter. One is in the body of Christ. We belong together. You may have a terrible family experience. You may come from abuse. You may come from neglect. Or just simply from people who don't seem to care a whole lot. But when you are part of the body of Christ, you are in something that is nothing like you've ever experienced before. What a joy it is to come into the church building. I was just talking to a lady in the back here this morning. We could sit at home and watch TV. It's like watching slides of your family, looking at pictures out of your your photo album. But then you get to go to the family reunion. Yeah, you got to put up with that obnoxious uncle. Yes, you've got to eat some really kind of gross food sometimes. But you've got a sense of belongingness that you can't get anywhere else. In fact, people might say, you know, you look an awful lot like that guy over there. That's, That's right. We're related. I can't tell you much about him, but I'm telling you right now. We are related. If you were to line up my mom's four brothers in a row and put me next to them and turn us around, you would have a hard time telling us apart. And I know that's a frightening thought to you guys, (laughs) but that's the truth. And what a great feeling. Like, I belong here. I belong here. Now, all my uncles are dead. I've lived long enough to see them pass. But I still belong. The neat thing about Christ's family, it's never dead. It rotates. People come, people go. But we belong. The resurrection profoundly changes us. Christians see the world when we become believers in a new way uh, that we have ever seen it before. We're joined to Christ. It's, it's, It's an incredible experience. The old has gone. This phrase tells us that we're to interpret that the old order, the way that we used to live, has gone away. When you walked in here today, who were you? And yes, I'm using that sort of in a passive sense, in the past sense. Who were you? How would you identify? I said, take out a card right now and write down, who is Craig Vanderlees? Who is Jeff Disterhoff? Who is Beth? Who is Aubrey? What would you write? Well, what's my identity? Um, Let's see. For me, I would write, and then I would say, I'm this old, and I'm married, and I've got three daughters, and I've done this job for a long time, and all this kind of stuff. And that's our identity. But Paul is saying, now, think this over again. Take that card, and in your head, rip it up. (laughs) Throw it away. That's your old identity. Paul says the old has passed away. These things don't define you anymore. You, you're rich, God doesn't care. You're poor, you, you really struggle to survive every month. God doesn't care. You're sick, you see the doctor way too often. You're frightened of your health. God doesn't care. You're athletic. You're strong, you're young, you're in college, you're old, you're retired. None of these identifiers make a bit of difference to the Lord. He rips them up, throws them away, because the only thing that matters is that you are in Christ. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, since the resurrection, it has profoundly changed you. God will use your sickness. God will use your youth. God will use your age. God will use your education. God will use your finances. Everything becomes his. And he's going to so use it in ways that you can't possibly imagine. The individual's whole being, his value system and behaviors are so changed through conversion. We are dead to sin but we're alive in Christ, it says in Romans 6, verse 11. Denny writes of Paul, the apostle, the past was dead to him, as dead as Christ on his cross. All its ideas, all its hopes, all its ambitions were dead in Christ. He was another man in this universe. Paul would have identified himself as a highly trained rabbi, as a persecutor of those who did not follow the law. But in Christ, everything radically changed. And so when Paul writes this, he knows to which he is speaking. And that should be the truth for us as well. The oldest passed away. Who were you when you walked in this morning? Who will you be when you walk out? If the answer is the same, we are to be pitied more than any people because we don't grasp what Paul is saying. We don't believe what the world... See, here's the problem. We are so used, most of us, to feeling passe, blasé, mediocre about our walk with Christ that we come here with the hope that something's going to click, something's going to shift in our minds, and we're going to get that special something that we read about in others, and we're going to somehow change our lives when we walk out. And I'm, I'm saying to you today, it's already happened if you're a believer. It's already the truth. You are a totally different, be- you are a new creation, Paul writes here, new creation, Where where else do you experience new creations? How do you have any ability to grasp what that means? Well, if you've been fortunate enough to see a child come into this world, right? Uh, That's a new creation. It's so exciting. Uh, I've had kids, I've had grandkids, and I'm telling you, everyone is a treasure. Life is full of possibilities at that point, right? Right? That baby that comes in, you look at it, and you think, who are you going to be? Like your father, like your mother, like your grandparents, like your brother, like your sister? Maybe you look kind of like your great-grandmother. I think all newborn babies probably look a lot like their great-grandmothers when they're born. But whatever that child's going to be, it's, it's endless possibilities. When you became a believer in Christ, Jesus likes to use that kind of metaphorical statement. You were born again. You're you're new. And here's the neat thing. The newness never wears off. God's mercies are renewed to us every single morning. Wow, that's amazing. Tim Keller likes to kind of use the idea of a combustible engine. You have a downstroke and an upstroke, right, under the hood of that car. The downstroke is, I'm putting off everything in my life that is the old self. That's what Ephesians 4 tells us. We're going to put it away. Uh, What I was when I walked in here, a man dominated by sexual sin, a person dominated by envy, by covetousness, by gossip, uh, by fear, (coughs) by fear, That was the old Dave. I'm not supposed to be that person anymore. I wish I could sit here and tell you that that can happen like that. Maybe it does for you. But I can give testimony to the fact that you walk long enough with Christ and you strive to understand who he is and what it means to walk in him. And your life is going to radically change. Radically change. And if it isn't, there is something wrong. It would be like... Carrying a baby around. Oh, Dave, that's such a beautiful little baby. Uh, when was that born? About 35 years ago. Isn't he cute? Yeah, look at that little thing. Still have to change his diaper seven times a day. But and that's how we feel sometimes as believers. I'm just a babe in Christ. Well, you're a babe because you choose to be a babe. God wants you to grow. Put off that old stuff. You're no longer that person. Get rid of it, the Apostle Paul says. And the upstroke is, put on the new self, the new creation, the Son of God. All we have to do is read through Ephesians 1, and we get an idea of what we're supposed to be about. Uh, The resurrection does this for us. It changes fear to love, despair into joy. The resurrection changes people from being spiritually dead to alive in God. It changes guilty condemnation to a celebration of forgiveness and freedom. It changes anxiety into a hope that goes beyond the grave. It can change our sinful hearts so that they want to follow the Lord Jesus. It's not a challenge, it's not a must, it's not an oughta, it's I get to. What a privilege, right? Uh, The power of the resurrection is relentlessly killing sin in every true Christian. You can't do before, or what you did before today, with the same enjoyment. Uh, Iona and I were just talking about this this last week. Uh, when I, we were first married, there were certain movies I felt very comfortable in watching. Right? I loved horror movies. I loved, you know, and I say that, I'm not talking about the slash and dash. I'm talking about just the old classic universal type movies. And now when I watch those kind of things, I find, why am I doing this? What a waste of time, you know? Uh, We're we're watching things like The Chosen right now, the life of Christ. And we're just loving it. All we focus on, we try to focus on, is what it means to be a believer in Christ. That doesn't mean you can't be mixing it up in some other ways. We still want to be relevant to the people that we live and breathe and, and work with. But we don't want to neglect to emphasize the truth that Christians are supposed to be coming new people. We are supposed to see the reality of our new position in Christ because of that resurrection. Many Christians have a meager expectation of to the extent in which we can today experience resurrection life and victory over sin. We've been beaten up so often, we have failed so often, that we have just given up. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, never give up. Never give up. The resurrection is far from being something we only benefit from in heaven. It happens to us right now. Uh, we were watching the other night a, a show on Netflix, and it was you know one of those nature shows. Uh, I love to watch these, but this was a little different. You know, we we still had David Attenborough, you know, the British commentator, and he talks the whole way through it and tells you everything, and we really enjoyed that. But it was all about color. How animals can only see certain colors. Some see more than we see, some see less than we see. And he uses the term spectrum. Some animals have the ability to see two color spectrum, some three, and so forth. And it kind of explained to us like why tigers are orange. You think, well, if I'm a tiger and I've got to sneak up on a deer to get lunch, that being orange, it's kind of a tip-off that I'm coming, Right. I'm probably starved to death. But when you see the tiger through the eyes of a deer, specifically the deers that he hunts in central plains of India, you recognize that he's not orange. With their eyes, with the color spectrums they see, really the world is kind of a green. And they had special cameras that allowed us to see that tiger. And all of a sudden, instead of being an orange-striped tabby cat, This was a green animal, just sitting in the green leaves and grasses, and you couldn't see him. I mean, I knew he was there. They just showed me that. It was like being at the eye doctor, you know, is this better? Is this good? Is it better? Is this okay? And the tiger was there, and then he wasn't there. And unless he moved, you couldn't tell he was sitting there. And as we talked about that, I thought, you know, that's really what's going on here. We see in a certain spectrum before the cross, I see Dave with all the problems he has and all the failures that he has accomplished and all, all this stuff, and I don't see me the way that God sees me. You see, that resurrection changes. It profoundly changes us. And if animals and insects we saw and fish can see the world differently than we as humans, I believe sincerely that God sees us differently. He sees us not as we are as we think we are, but he sees us once we become believers in the spectrum of Christ's blood, which means that you're perfect. You've redefined the word perfect, Dave. Yes, I have. I have redefined the way that God sees us because of his son's sacrifice on the cross, because he took upon himself once and for all the sins of everyone. He took upon himself the sins of Dave, the past, the present, and anything I do in the future. I cannot send my way out of the spectrum of God's vision now When I look at the body of Christ, the reason Paul is able to write this, if anyone is in Christ, these four statements is because he knows that God sees you in that way. When he sees his son, Jesus Christ, he looks one way. When he sees you, there is no distinguishing them. In fact, you are in his vision one and the same you are the sons and daughters of christ you do not bear the marks of your sin you do not and you cannot atone for what you have done wrong the blood of christ is splashed upon oh this is great news I hope you think this is great news. I do. When I switch to uh, Ezekiel chapter 44, this brings us into clarity for me in a way that I've never understood it before. Ezekiel 44. Seems like a weird place to go. If you read Ezekiel, you think, this has got to be the only prophet on mushrooms or something like that because there's some weird stuff written in here. But he is having a vision of the temple. And I'm not going to read through the whole chapter but just understand this as you read it I hope that you are struck with before the cross how did God see us because the second point here is not only in the first point are we profoundly changed by the resurrection the second point is the resurrection eternally changes how God sees us right I just said that a little bit ago but that's the truth here in chapter 44, we're looking at the holiness of God because Ezekiel's given a vision of the temple. And it's an amazing thing. If you start reading through it, you're going to say, oh, yeah, this is really amazing, Dave. It was two cubits by six cubits and two palm trees and four cubits and the inner hallway should be this way. and the out. And you're probably going to close your Bible and say, I don't want to read this. But don't give up on it. Because by the time you get to chapter 44, he is revealing to us, how God saw us before the cross. He says in verse 1, He brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces east, and it was shut. And the Lord said, east, and it was shut. And the Lord said to me, the gate shall remain shut. It's not going to be opened, and no one can enter by it. The Lord, the God of Israel, has entered by it. That's the first thing he says. What? If you don't read this carefully, you're going to say, well, this is an interesting piece of architecture, and God has come in through the East Gate, and now the door is shut. Well, great. No, don't miss it. Here's what God's saying. Once I come into my temple, and you've got to remember, Ezekiel is the prophet who most clearly sees the glory of God sitting by the Chinar canals, right, in chapter 1 and 2. He sees God's throne room opened up before him and the four living creatures, right? And the seraphim darting about, chanting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. He knows what the presence of God looks like. And to Ezekiel's vision, this God has entered through the east gate into the temple. And God says, no one else can come in to the temple by this gate why simply because it's holy now and nothing before the cross on this world was holy not like God wow so no one can come in and do that secondly he says well guess what uh I'm going to put limitations on the Levites. Now, if you remember the Levites, they're the one of the 12 tribes of Israel, but they're the ones who don't get to inherit any land because their whole cause for existence is to actually serve God in the temple. But even the Levites in Israel's history have messed up. When the nation was going down the tubes, they were following idolatry. They were doing their own thing. Did the Levites stand up and say, no, this is wrong? No, they should have. They were the priests of God. They were, as we would think of them today, the pastors. And they should have said to the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, don't do this. God does not like this. But instead, they went along with it. And God now didn't just lays out in the next few verses why They will still be serving him, but their service is going to change. They no longer can come near to the presence of God. They're not holy enough. They still have a job. They're going to cut the meat. They're going to offer up the sin offerings. But they're not coming anywhere near to the presence of God. And on top of that, some of them have married foreign wives people that were not of the people of Israel. If you look in verse 9, he says, Thus says the Lord God, No foreigner uncircumcised in heart and flesh of all the foreigners who are among the people of Israel shall enter into my sanctuary. So not only did the Levites marry the wrong wives, but now, as was the custom back in old Israel, where foreign guards were hired to protect the temple, God is saying, No, no one. No one who is not circumcised, no one who is not part of the nation of Israel, no one is that holy can come near me. It's not going to happen. And as you read through the rest of this chapter, you get into what they can wear. I want my priest to wear linens, especially linens. And he even gets to a subset of the Levites, by the way, when you jump up to like uh, verse 15 when he talks about Zadok, the sons of Zadok. Uh, Zadok was a priest, right? but he was given priesthood because of his parentage, his ancestors, Eleazar, who are related to Aaron, the brother of Moses, Uh, they can come closer to me. But even the priests of Zadok don't get to come into the presence of the Holy of Holies, into the very chamber of God anymore, because they messed up too. They're not that holy. And he says, when they put on these linens, that are specially made for them, the turban and so forth. He says, let them wear nothing made of wool, which will cause them to sweat, because perspiring is not admittable into the holiness of God. And on their way out, after they've done their chores as priests, take off these linen clothes and leave them in the inner sanctum of the temple, lest they wear them outside." And the holiness, my holiness, comes into contact with the people of Israel. And what happens when God's holiness in any way touches a common person? They're gone. We see this in Leviticus chapter 10 in the story of Nadab and Abihu, right? Two of the sons of Aaron who put together in their censers the little swinging plates full of smoke that they did in their ritual worship of God, they offered, all it says is a strange fire. That's something God had not commanded. They got creative. More than likely, they did something that drew attention to themselves. And what happens? It says that that fire that they created actually rose up and consumed them. So what would happen if they wore these clothes, these linen garments, out amongst the people. Before the cross, you aren't holy enough. Now there's some hope. You say, well, why did the sons of Zadok get any kind of mention? Well, there's something in ancient Near Eastern culture called the Covenant of Grant. And in the Covenant of Grant you are given the privilege of doing things because of your ancestry. So Zadok, because of his ancestry, and he's long dead by the time we get to Ezekiel, but his sons get to minister just simply because they belong to Aaron. Remember that family reunion I was talking about? They just got that privilege. It's different than the suzerain treaties that were common in this day, where each generation is judged by their relative merits. In the covenant of Grant, it's just, I belong. And so I'll do my duty as a Levite. I'll do my duty as a priest. I'll do my duty as a high priest. doesn't make me holy. It just means that I belong. And that was common back then. Praise God. Do you see it? Now we switch to that other side of the cross. I hope you see it. Covenant of Grant. Who is our great high priest? Who we have been talking about for the last couple of weeks? Yeah, Jesus. Hebrews 7, right? Hebrews 4. Hebrews 10. All of those chapters say that we have a great high priest. And because Jesus is our great high priest, we have a covenant of Grant. We now are associated with him. That's our identity. That's our family reunion. I don't care who you are, man, woman, what color you are here this morning, it all blends into the blood of Christ. The world is going into flames to talk about social justice. I'm here this morning to talk to you about spiritual justice. The cross, the resurrection, spiritually lifts you Because of that covenant of grants. And now you can go into the Holy of Holies, into God's presence. What happened on that hill of Golgotha when Jesus was crucified? And he says, it is finished. In that Holy of Holies, that curtain is ripped from the top down to the bottom. It's been in existence for thousands of years. People were not allowed in there. They weren't holy enough. And it's like God is saying, now... Now, you're a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, if you belong, then you can come without fear of coming into contact with holiness. Because, like I said, Jesus and you, in God's spectrum of color, are now one. You're his. And Jesus said, Father, Through all the stuff I have been through, through the resurrection and so forth, I ask of you to give to these people my inheritance, my standing, who I am in you. The resurrection makes a tremendous difference. Before the cross and the resurrection, we had Ezekiel 44. I've got to wear the right clothes. I can't have a bodily defect. I've got to be married to the right woman. I have to have a covenant of grant that takes me back so far. All this stuff. After the cross, after the resurrection, if anyone is in Christ, he, she is a new creation. Let that which is old pass away. Whoever you were when you walked in here, man, I hope you're not that person anymore. Even if you were trekking with God, pretty cool. I want you to be a new person in Christ. Downstroke? Get rid of the old stuff. Don't identify with who I was. I'm no longer Dave of Omaha. I am now Dave of Christ. Do you ever wonder why Christ gives a new name to some of his disciples? Probably to all of them, but the ones that are recorded that we know about, Right? Matthew, Peter the Rock, Paul. It's because those are identifiers. He's saying you have a new identity. You no longer are those people. And it's because of the resurrection. If the resurrection is true, then everything I'm telling you this morning is as true. To deny what I'm telling you today is to deny your belief in the resurrection and in Jesus Christ being the Lord God himself. Do you want to go back? Do you want to go back to never getting to be part of the temple worship? I mean, unless you were fortunate enough to be 112th of all the population of Israel and have some role in the outer courts of the temple like the Levites did, unless you were part of the 126th of the population of Israel and you happened to be a descendant of Aaron, you're a Zedekite, You would never even come close to the presence of God. But this morning when we gathered and you heard the singing and hopefully you were singing with them and you heard Gabby's testimony and you're listening to the preaching of the word of God, you are the temple of God. Isn't that awesome? You say, well, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. If anybody deserves it, Please come out up here and take over. I don't know who deserves it. No one does. We give all praise and glory to Jesus Christ because he's the only one who deserves it. He's the only one that earns it. In the last days of the book of Revelation, I love that scene in the throne room of God, just like what Ezekiel's talking about. And the scroll of God of judgment comes out and this call goes out, who's worthy to open this? And the Apostle John writing that book says, Behold, I saw the Lamb that was slain. Come forward, and He opens that scroll. Only He is worthy to do that. But we are His people. And in God's sight, the color spectrum is unified. There is no distinction Again, no distinction on how much money you make, what education you have, how healthy you are or not. You're all the same in God. We are all the same in Christ. The resurrection makes a difference. Let's pray. This morning we're just going to lead out on a time of prayer. I'm going to encourage you to pray on your own at some points so listen carefully here but we're just going to start off by saying thank you father thank you for your grace and your mercy and i just want you to spend a couple of seconds just praising god whatever god's laid on your heart this morning as a believer in christ whatever truth that you've grasped onto just thank him praise him for what he's done i'll let you do that for a couple of seconds Father, who am I that you would see me in such a way? But Lord, since that's the fact of your word, who am I to deny it? I live in it. And I promise you, Father, that when I leave here today, I'm going to walk in it. Father, now we pray that you would help us to put away the old self, it is past. And I ask, Lord, that you would bring to our hearts anything that we're holding on to that we shouldn't be holding on to so that we can confess it as something that is from our old life and no longer part of our new life, whether that's how we see ourselves or others, anger, fear, whatever it may be, Lord, we pass it away. So pray that silently in your heart. Ask God to reveal that to you. Father, we just, we want to put on the new self. Your son has gotten that for us. It's a gift. Father, he's equipped us to live this life, to spread the joy of this word, to be a testimony to a lost and hurting world. Father God, we commit ourselves to being whatever it is you want us to be. Father, I pray now that you would bring to our hearts what our commission is, who it is that we need to speak to, who it is that we need to live purely before, who it is that we need to forgive. Father, cleanse our heart, scrub it, so that the newness of life in you will be evident to all who see us. Let's pray silently about that. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you we live this side of the cross, this side of the resurrection. Thank you for all that that means. Lord, may you never see me the way I was again. But may you see your son when you see me. And may that be true of the world and the people I live amongst as well. I pray this in Jesus' name.